uh, Leah Valley with Love Music. Bill, you're so excited to talk to your favorite band. I might have a jazz album, I might have a folk album, I might put out a dance album. I don't know. <laughs> I remember this one time. I had been writing some songs, and I and I went out. This I'm just going right in on this story. I went out and so. <laughs> and listen, it's going to be everybody's favorite band. This is weird music. A lot of opportunities sprung up pretty fast. The affirmation just kept happening. Like you're doing the right thing. Welcome to Lehigh Valley with Love Music. I am your co-host, Philip Reese, and along with Mr. Lehigh Valley with Love, George Wacker, we seek to bring you the very best in music happening in the area and the stories behind them. Hopefully bringing you something you hadn't heard or didn't know, all in an effort to enhance your enjoyment of live music. Each month we connect with artists, musicians, bands, and the like who are either from the area or have played here at a festival like Music Fest or one of the many venues that consistently bring exciting live music to the Lehigh Valley year-round. This month, we interview three genre-defiant artists, from the inspirational El Huri, who fuses socially conscious lyrics with blistering guitar, Ryan Tennis, who shares stories of affirmation and seizing opportunity, to the hot, up-and-coming Argonaut and Wasp, who join us from their practice studio in Brooklyn days before they start their national tour to support the release of their debut album. So without further ado, El Huri. Well, welcome back <laughs> to uh, Leah Valley with Love Music. We're starting off with a really impressive get. I have to give you credit for uh, putting this all together and getting El Huri. This is amazing. Well, also, I mean, we got to give Music Fest credit. They're the ones who bring oh, yeah. them in. And then, you know, we get to enjoy them live. And then, you know, they're just such amazing people that you talk to them afterwards and you want to allow them to, you know, tell their story. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Alhuri is a triple threat. She's an accomplished songwriter, a great vocalist, and one hell of a gu guitar player. And that's according to NPR Music. She was born in Ecuador to Lebanese and Spanish parents. And she's a leading Artivist, which is a, a word I want you to remember. We're going to get back to that. Mm -hmm. uh, living in New York City, who tours internationally, sharing her music and message of empowerment. Touted as one of the top Latinx guitar players in the world, El Huri navigates through the rhythmic landscapes of her heritage, rock and pop punk, bolero, reggae, and Afro-Cuban, all presented with an elegant and socially conscious voice. Her personal guitar style, and this is amazing to me, has been influenced by the likes of Jimmy Page, David Gilmore, Gar Carlos Santana, Nancy Wilson, B.B. King, and Bonnie Raitt. She, it, she's going to talk about a new album she released, but she has had four critically acclaimed solo albums, the last one coming out in 2019. And as you did mention, she she did play Music Fest. So without further ado, El Jure, welcome. <laughs> Hola. Welcome. Um, and again, thank you so much. We're so honored to have you and, and can't wait to kind of share your story through this method to, to our fans and your fans and anybody else who's listening out there. Oh, thank you both for having me. <laughs> so um, I guess it's always good to kind of start uh, where it all began. And, you know, George had shared in the beginning there, you were born in Ecuador. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, your parents were probably, you know, highly influential to your, you know, kind of early exposures into music. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, um, I was born in Waikil, Ecuador, but came, we came to the States when I was a very little girl, young girl, baby girl. And mm -hmm. me and my brothers and sisters and my parents are both artists. My mother's um, a composer, pianist, mm -hmm. and my father's an actor. So the love of the arts was a given. The desire for, you know, great education, political stability, all those reasons were why, why we were here in New York, of all, you know. Sure of all cities in the world to, to, to go to. But uh, I grew up listening really to my mother playing the piano since I was three, four, five, and just falling in love with her compositions. And so what's, you know, she named me after the saint of music, so I had no real choice. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were doing it. <laughs> I read that you had a cover band when you were, you had a cover band when you were like 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when I was in fifth grade, I had my first band. Only like the school of music in New York City, like having bands and actually like from the get-go I was writing my own material and having original music and bands but having all those incredible influences in, in, a, in a city like New York where you have both the local artists musicians and everybody that are amazing but mm -hmm. then you had the best of the best coming to New York the best African artists the best you know rock stars the best you know reggae you know the top Latino players all would come to New York so you'd go and see the shows and then you try to mimic that in your, with your band. And it was like, it was a great, great place to grow up for, for original music. No question. Yeah. Yeah. So in that 90s time, you're with a band called The Trouble Dolls. The Trouble Dolls, yeah. And is that, is that the first time that you were uh, getting things taken up a notch a little? A little before that, I was really, really, the first time I played CBs, I was 17 years old. And it was wow. um, with a small, uh, uh, another band before the T-Dolls. Mm -hmm. And then. And then the TLs though was was uh, the first one that kind of got a little regional, you know, sure. kind of like oh we play Boston and we play you know you started spreading out a little yeah. That's so that, awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that has the name came from uh, a little bit of the Latin culture, correct? Yeah, the Guatemalan worry dolls. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And, but then I was writing most most of my songs I was writing then were in English, with still elements of you know, world beat influences and that, I, you know, we brought into the T-Dolls, but we formulated, but it was all in English. Those songs were in English. Looks like Happens Next is that, you know, in 1998, you're kind of saying you want it to be a little bit more Latin inspired. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. So I went, I went deeper into my Latin roots and then formed the, the, the band Grupo Fiesta, which was had a lot more traditional clave and and I, I, we were, I was always signed to all these indie labels all over all the years. And then at that point, I remember the, we were signed to like an alt indie label. We were like the token Latin weird band. And then, <laughs> and then that label got bought by another label. And so then this Latin label picked us up. And then they said to me, because I was a songwriter, can, you, can we have more songs in Spanish? So I started writing in Spanish. So we had English and Spanish. It was very bilingual at that point. But then I found how much I enjoyed writing songs in Spanish because it's such a beautiful, it's a romance language. It just, so that's where my love of writing songs in Spanish happened. So that, that being such a lyrical language, you know, the, mm -hmm. the cadence of the way, the, you know, the, the way words just like float over. It's just 
you know what, my message is very important to me. So has that evolved like in your songwriting um, when you first began, like some of the subjects of your songs to now? Has that changed as you've grown? Um, it had it has from like when I went from band, band leader, songwriter to solo artist as a solo artist, I think I got even deeper into the socially conscious messaging and all that. Um, as a solo artist, all my albums really have that that focus, that emphasis, and it's because I feel like um, I got deeper into what matters to me. That, that makes sense. So I, what I wanted to sing about. And that's this phrase came out of what our, our research. We saw artivist, which was kind of like an artist yes. who's an activist. Um, yeah, like, Eddie, did that come from from a, a somewhere that you can share? Well, that, that's also like, I think the fact that I, I'm a, a bilingual immigrant in the United States and mm -hmm. travel a lot playing music. And I see the that people really are generally open and loving and caring to their neighbor. I'm in a good position with my music and my messaging to encourage people to be to, to focus on that. Or if I'm going to write a song about gun violence and, and how I was going to bring that one up. You have that song, Bang Bang, which is bang, bang, all about yeah. gun violence. It's like, you, I, I think I just, it just makes sense to me. But Bang Bang um, won an award, which is highly prestigious, the John Lennon International Songwriting Contest in, in that war, world category. I mean, like, that's got to feel amazing. Like the fact that yeah. not only are you putting this out there, but it's getting recognized and I'm sure it's speaking to a lot of people in, in, you know, art is helps people, you know, come to terms with stuff and heal, or at least makes a raises awareness to all this very important stuff. Yeah. And, and that song actually, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And yes, the John Lennon award and it won video awards too, because I have a great videography team. That, yes. Uh, your, your videos are wonderful. Again, I just wanted to mention to anybody, you know, listening, the YouTube channel that you have is these videos aren't just videos of, of someone playing. It, it's got, it tells the story and they're very, very well done. Thank you very much. It's a combination of Monoville, Alex uh, Gatchi Design, Monoville Records and Z Collective that, so I'm not going to take that all that credit because they share, I have the good fortune people understanding what I'm trying to do and uh, believing in the vision and, and uh, so that creativity and Cisco Villar, like we have a lot, I have, I have a lot of good people that have, um, contributed to making the video so important because that's an opportunity to get the message out again. Um, so, so Bang Bang, though, when I wrote it, I, it, it came out in both English and Spanish because it was mm -hmm. really a U.S.-centric thing. Sometimes I'm writing things that are global messages, but this yep. one is global, but it's particularly um, a U.S. Certainly. Um, and you have that wonderful, poignant, and harsh moment in a good way um, where you list off all the cities. Yes. Because too many people, I think, feel like, though, that's just an inner city issue or it's it's Chicago or no, it's oh, yeah. whatever. And then you at, in, when you sing it live, you obviously mention the city that you're in yes. because it happens here, too. So, like, I think it's such a powerful moment when you do thank that. You, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. It's yeah. And then you'll do. I don't want to speak, but like seminars or other activities that go along with some of your performance. Well, like I, I, I did some festivals and they were, and, and um, they were looking for some community outreach stuff. So I would do like a, a webinar on how to find your own voice um, or an activism kind of thing. Um, I'm also involved with um, um, this organization in New York called Sound Thinking. And they're, it was mostly focused on young women because they're underrepresented in the music industry. 
but it's also for any any youth who, who wants to get exposed to the music industry and different slices of the music industry. And it's a it's a free offering that the city of New York offers for people who can't you know who maybe don't have the means to mm-hmm. afford to go to a school and find out you know. Yeah, so and it, and representation matters. You know, if if yeah, a, if a young lady exactly. can see exactly <laughs> someone who looks like them, especially maybe a young Latin girl who can now say, "Wow, that's what I've always <laughs> yeah. wanted." That's what I'm dreaming of, but everyone tells me I can't do it. And then they right. can look at your story and say, no, I can, and, and be inspired yeah. by it. I had, you know, of course, I had um, I had the good fortune of having Bonnie Raitt as an example, but they're mm-hmm. so far between, you know, sure. Wilson or whatever. But yes, agree. It's, and it's also good for a 12-year-old young boy to see a woman playing. Yeah. A, oh, that's very true. A female playing guitar as well. So mm-hmm. that normalizes it. Correct. Um, you know what I mean? Like, so, so the, that's, and I'm also involved with like voters rights and mm-hmm. trying to get, people, get the vote out. And because I'm bilingual, I can do like a lot of Certainly. communications yeah. to, to try to encourage people and, or help them navigate the voters, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like signing up for voting. Um, yeah, and a bunch of other things, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is so a couple <laughs> other things we found. Um, like you were a, a lead organizer for the Women's March in New York City back in 2017. Uh, yeah. Um, you uh built clean yeah. water centers uh via yes. <laughs> via Talenta and Equality International. Um, yeah. and then this one I love too. This is where you're offering those bilingual workshops at schools so that people can learn how to play the guitar, which is called El yeah, on Guitars. That's... Yeah, that that started. I, that really started. Found its home in Mexico. Great connection with that country. It's um, fantastic, and they, you know, they've embraced me. I've embraced them, and so so that's like a give back. A shout out to todos que están escuchando. Un saludo a todos que están escuchando. I'm shout out to everybody. Maybe just like, circling a little bit back to the music story, and then we're I think, and again, sticking with the activism with that one video. Um, mm-hmm. But you basically break out fully on your own in 2006. Is that a scary yeah. moment? Is it a freeing moment? Like, is that, do you agonize over that decision? See. <laughs> See? <laughs> All of the above. See. Uh, yeah. Phil, were you going to talk about Music Fest? Or were you that's where I was going to go. Is like, I guess that's okay, a good okay. time to maybe talk about Music Fest. And like, yeah. you played in 2019 live. You gave a virtual performance in 20, and then you were here live again in 21. Yeah. Let me tell you, that Music Fest show, talk about lifting spirits. We've all been like living in a cave, not being able to play live. We couldn't wait to explode and connect with people in a safe way, very organized. Everybody was so loving. Everybody worked so hard. And we just were so excited to go rehearse and then come play in a show where people wanted to be there and live. It was like, yay. (laughs) Besides loving it two years ago and Mm -hmm. enjoying the virtual, this was like so, so like magical it was magic and a magical la gente era increíble the audience the people are very special i now that i've gone a couple of times i realize how unique it is unique it's very very special in bethlehem i don't know there's like a caring of the community you could feel it we were so proud to be like in front of the this this, those steel stacks right i have a i guess they have a you know symbolism to it and but it's it's like everybody has lifted that city back up and it's yep. it, it's a i'm i'm like blown away by that we have we, lo- we love to hear that that's great to hear and the meet and greets people were just loving it. i remember that from two years ago too so it's 
it's not it's not to be taken for granted like people really that they have they have lifted that city up and music is such a big part of it mm -hmm. and the arts which I'm, i grew up believing in the arts being healers and yep. empowering you that's what bethlehem represents to me and we, we went out to dinner the night before you feel the energy it's just like great i <laughs> and i played a lot of festivals i don't i'm not saying they're not great but this is very special well, I, I feel like Bethlehem feels like the people who live here um, or, or who have lived here, they feel like they have an ownership in music fest yes, in, a, yes. in a sense of like we were fostering it. You know, there's yes. so many volunteers. There's so many people who, you know, maybe they just spend a lot of money on beer. That's helpful, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just fun to to be able to be out there. I just thought about that the music fest so special was okay. unusual too. I just thought of it. Sorry, is that it's okay. we want to hear it? It was a ninety-minute show, so we could actually do like a concert. Mm -hmm. We could do an acoustic breakdown in the middle. We could do, you know, so that was another wonderful gift for us because it was like we we had a tour in a day because <laughs> <laughs> right. we played two stages for nine minutes. It was great. I mean, it just made us hungry, but mm -hmm. we. We were fed, thank you. Exceptional interview there. Uh, El Hiri, absolutely phenomenal musician, completely shreds the guitar, and then is an even better person. I mean, just so giving of her time, her talent, her her resources, um, and being able to try and make the world a better place. So thank you to El Hiri for that, and now on to Ryan Tennis. Ryan's Tennis's music is all about dismantling boundaries and bringing people together. Is genre defiant, which is a theme of tonight, I think. Apparently, yes. He is genre defiant, genre defiant by nature and with diversity at his core. His rousing songs, and you're going to see just how rousing. It's like he is physically active in this music. Oh, absolutely. Are fused with rhythm uh, from many of the countries he's visited. Uh, during his extensive tours. While his performances are dynamic and danceable, Tennis's voice and songs have a disarming sweetness. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to bring in Ryan Tennis. <laughs> That's excellent. So just, and... uh, I didn't know you were a Sixers fan. Oh, yeah, man. I didn't know you were a Sixers fan. I saw you write to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm all excited. Not that I wasn't before. But... No, I mean, that's my that's my favorite podcast ever. And and uh, I got that. They gave me a shout on the la on like the, the one right before. They gave me a shout for the new video. Thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah, my absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks, and what a great video. I, I remember um, the way that I kind of go through uh, Music Fest and prepare for it is to listen to music. Um, and for whatever reason, I hadn't ever really connected with your music before. But I put on this like 28 hour Spotify playlist of all the people who are playing the free stages. And I just let it go for like, you know, day after day after day. And the songs that jump out at me are the ones who I want to go see. And you're, you are so excited to see you play because I love the music. And a friend of mine yeah. who also does that same thing was like, OK, uh, great music. And then now he's funny, too. And he looks like Thor. Great. You know, like <laughs> I'm not taking my wife to this one. So but anyway, awesome to have you on. I uh, can't wait to hear more about uh, the, the, the history of, of your, your career and, and more about the songs that you write because you're a great storyteller, too, on top of great music. Thanks, man. Absolutely. You're, you're a Philly guy. Um, 
I'm interested about this too. You played some football in North Carolina. So you said you were a late bloomer when it came to music. At least that's what I read. Can you kind of describe that? What was your musical path? Well, uh, I grew up in the town of Bernathan, which is a small town outside of Philadelphia where almost everybody is part of this small church, which has its pluses and minuses. Really uh, cool, like castle that's there. Yeah, a castle. Great for pictures. Three, castle, three castles and a cathedral. Uh, <laughs> but one of the coolest parts about growing up, I mean, in, in this very idyllic uh, small town, is that everybody can sing. You know, you're singing in church every morning. You have music class. I was going to summer camps where music was a huge part of it. And so, and so I just... I grew up singing, so everybody knows how to harmonize. Everybody can sing in tune. And so I grew up with music around, and that was really cool. And so it was just a part of part of what I was doing, but it was it was secondary to, to sports always. Really, it was football, football, football all the time. And played for and Davidson, right? For Davidson College, which is, you know, small time, high quality. But still one double A. That's yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah and, and it was nice. I had a fun career. We had, we always had good teams. I love the sport of football in high school. I had this great team of really good hearted guys who were some of my best friends in college. There were some good dudes on the team. I made some friends, but I, I never really loved the culture of football. I just loved the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't that in, I think it's just, I always was more of an artist at heart and, and, a, and a musician at heart. And so when I when I finished with my senior year, I was not even close to sniffing the pros. So what now? And and I started, you know, I started listening to music and having these really intense experiences listening to music for the first time, where it was like it felt like whole worlds were opening up. Sure. And um, so I was, you know, at the end of college and and after college, I was really getting into music and sort of discovering myself as an artist and having these intense experiences, playing music, listening to music, um, started writing my first songs. Uh, a couple of years after college, I moved out to San Diego and that's when I first started playing open mics. Um, and I formed a little band that was mediocre. Um, and it's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> they were called one way ticket. I don't know where it was, but, uh, but uh, it was a ticket to somewhere. Anyway, I'm so glad. It was so nice to get to do those first couple years in San Diego and not in Philadelphia, where I've made my home. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I got to do some growing up there. And well, so like people won't be like, "Hey, I saw you eight years ago," and it was. And you not said, <laughs> I was pretty convinced. I was pretty convinced at that time that I was pretty good or pretty great. I, I you know, I would have these experiences where I'd write a song and I'd be like, "This is." incredible this is something really special and and honestly a lot of those songs were really good i think they were genuinely good songs i was not very good i was just singing flat you know i was not a very precise guitar player i'm still not such a precise guitar player but i was pretty green and i was a lot more green than i knew and honestly at that time if i knew how far away i was from being like a good professional musician who could really put on a good show then i maybe would have quit I, yeah if if i had really been able to, to assess where i was as a musician and as a performer i don't i think i would have been frustrated and quit and so i needed to have that but but it, it stuck with me for sure it was like it was such a bolt um it was what i've been thinking just very clear and i was like that's that this is what's happening and i, I just shortly after that got really clear hey I, i'm working this office job time to go time to quit that 
I really don't need to be in San Diego anymore. This is not the place for me to develop as a musician. And uh, also time to leave the girl who I'm dating too. So it was <laughs> all hit at the same time. And, and so I, shortly thereafter, I took all those steps. It kind of leads me to asking you about some of your South American or Colombian ties. You know, yeah. I, I see a lot of that on your website. It, it talks about that. Where did that come from? You know, where, when did you, where, where is that connection from? Um, and can you tell me more about the time that you've spent there and playing and touring? Yeah. So that, that connection started because of my brother, uh, Bronson Tennis, who actually has played, plays at Music Fest almost every year. His band is called De Tierra Caliente. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Fusion band. And that, and that's his, they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he had been living in Argentina kind of on a whim ended up playing with this Colombian band called El Caribe Funk, mm -hmm. uh, who now are, they're really big. They were nominated for a Latin Grammy last year. Wow. And, and yeah. the only independent band nominated for a Latin Grammy. And, wow. um, and so I went down to visit him kind of on a whim, you know, after like a shitty breakup, I, I went yeah. down and visited him in Colombia and those guys and, and Caribe Funk invited me to open a show for them. It went really well. And they were about to go on tour. They said, Hey, why don't you come along tag along awesome. with us on our first tour? And it was a okay. very, <laughs> very grassroots Rasta style tour in that they had like one or two dates, but mostly just went to cities and found shows. But <laughs> that's so awesome. Can you imagine showing up? <laughs> yeah, hey, we're here. Are you both? No, but we're playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Colombia it works a little better. And also these the thing is their their music was so fantastic and magnetic yeah. and joyful. Like everywhere they went, people just it, it felt like going You can't help yourself. You know, it, those guys, that that band when they were four pieces and they, they it had the same energy as the Beatles, like where it was like these wow. young guys who were just unbelievably charismatic, phenomenal songs, phenomenal musicianship, and everyone wanted to be a part of it wherever they went. And so I just fell in love with the country, started learning Spanish, really developed a deep friendship with all those guys. And so started going back and then ended up bringing them with my brother. We worked together to bring them to the U.S. three summers in a row and organized tours for them. And and so now, like, we're, these are my boys and I, and I see them all the time. You know, we did they just recently play The Veil with you or, or was that this summer? They did. Well, do you want to we, we can even bring up The Veil now if you've been doing these concerts. This was like. This was in late June, so it was like when everybody who wanted to be vaccinated was vaccinated, and we that thought small, that small, yeah, the period of time. Yeah, it was that little magical period of time, and so we had a concert. Yeah, we do about one a month when it's warm out. And, open to the uh, public. Open so to the public. Come down? All right. Yeah, come on down. That's a lot of fun. I mean, those are the kind of things that I've been jonesing to do for the last, you know. <laughs> And especially no, when you see, it just it looks so much more special because you're, you've been, at least me, I've taken it for granted for however long, and now that you can't experience it, you you look at it and you're like, it's it's a glass of water, you know, and you're thirsty. Man, I know. I think everyone's been feeling like, how is that? How's this time period been? Uh, well, it's so interesting because, it, at first it was pretty cool because for the last ten years it's been you know 150, 200 gigs a year. And I had never taken more than two two weeks off without a show. So to go all of a sudden two, three months without playing was like, it was wild. At first I was floundering, but then it kind of felt good. And mm -hmm. But creatively, I definitely 
I got to shed guitar and shed voice and and do more writing. You know, I wrote that song Alligator and a couple others during the pandemic after, you know, it had been years. I had kind of gone a couple of years without writing anything serious. So so it was really nice to have that time. Also, I just I was able to deconstruct my singing voice in a way that I don't think I ever would have been able to do nine or 10 hours of driving a week and would just spend those whole drives working on my voice. Mm-hmm. And I could just I could explore this little area that was sort of underdeveloped and sensitive and didn't sound that good and needed a lot of time without judgment to to play around with this certain mechanical part of my voice that resonates up in my head that had never never been resonating all the way. And now I have way better access to that. And I, I'm, my pitch is just a lot more pure than it used to be. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better. You know, there's mm-hmm. no isolation like the isolation of driving on a highway in a car. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. like when you're worried about your neighbors hearing it, you just can't really let loose. And and so, I mean, I guarantee if you were in that car, you'd hear some good stuff. You'd also hear a lot of bad stuff. And, mm-hmm. and that ability that to to sing the the bad stuff without worrying about it is absolutely was crucial to this development that happened. Totally. Totally. I can totally see that. Do you want to talk about Music Fest a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, man. Um, So I've I've played it. This was, I think, my third time playing Music Fest, but I hadn't played it for several years. It's Andres Mordecai as the percussionist and Jamil Chawi, and that's my cousin Joanna Austin singing with me. But those guys play play in Caribe funk. Oh, awesome. Also, I play a lot. I've toured a lot with both of them. Jamil is a guitar player, but he he's a very good bass player, too. So he's played a lot on tours on bass. And Andres, I've done some touring in Colombia with him. Andres on percussion is just a, a monster. I can't believe he. Really we had. I had to walk up to the stage to see. He's well, playing with his bare hands. Shakers in his socks that are doing the back and forth. Oh, he has shakers. You hear that? He has shakers in his socks. Yeah. And when he plays with Caribe <laughs> funk, he's he's has that going on. He's playing bongo, cajon, uh, shaker, cymbals, and he also while playing back and forth with his socks, he'll be hitting um, pedals that hit a cowbell or a woodblock. And he's singing like on top of all that. It's unbelievable. He's one of the most, he's one of the finest musicians in the world. And I I don't say that, I don't say that lightly or like, it's not hyperbole. He literally. You guys are having so much fun out there. Like have you seen that? But no, it's just like your, your energy. I read in one of uh, the things I was reading, like you were an athlete and you still kind of have that physicality when you're playing you know, yeah, when sure. you see, and, and I noticed that on stage, like you just really, it's physical. You're into it. You're, you're going to be sweating by the end of that performance. Yeah. Whether oh, you like I'm, it or always, not, you know? I'm always sweating. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it was so nice to be back. It was cool because that side stage is, is in a high traffic area. So yep. it's not mm-hmm. like a million people there to see you necessarily, but if you're playing and it sounds good, people will stop through. And that's absolutely, we had a great, we had a great group stop through and it's cool playing music fest because a way that I think it's different than a lot of music festivals I've been at is it's really a wide swath of the public. You know, it's, it's a lot, it's very, you know, real age diversity, real background, uh, diversity and background, cult, cultural, uh, ethnic diversity, everything. And so you get people from a lot of different walks of life there. Mm-hmm. The fact mm-hmm. that it's not gated either. It, it's an ungated you know, festival where people are just like, I hear some music. I'm going to go find out. Right, that right, is. right, right. Yeah. And you also had, you had a, um, Stephen Page was playing that night on the, the Levitt stage, who he was the former lead, one of the lead singers for Bare Naked Ladies. So he was a little bit of a draw, but he was very mellow. And so like 
he was a lovely performer, but it was opening night or wasn't it? Yeah, it was opening night of, of the Saturday, festival. Yeah. Saturday, yeah, opening yeah. weekend. And so you go and you're like, okay, I'm going to go see this thing. And he's just him and a guitar. And it was like, okay, that's fine and all. And then he finishes his shit, his set. You start up yours and it's this explosion of energy. And you're right. Like all of a sudden, tons of people are like, I'm heading over there, whatever that is. I'm going to be a part of that. And yeah. uh, you did. You had a pretty good crowd, great energy. And man, you guys brought it and fed off of it. It was really, really great. Yeah, that was a, it was one of my favorite sets of the summer for sure. So yeah. hopefully next year, if you come back to Music Fest, we give you a better time slot. <laughs> More That's time. Cool, yeah, Let's do it. On. Let's do it. Um, I want to be in Lehigh. As, I want to be doing this Arts Quest stuff as much as possible. I love what's going on there. Bagheedi Kamalo, um, who is the person who was on Paul Simon's Graceland. He's so youthful and he plays with such a joyful, youthful energy. And he's a special, special musician, that guy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for, for cool. people who are unfamiliar, he was the bassist on Graceland, Paul Simon's his album. Yep. And yep. he lives he's in the Lehigh Valley. Paul, yeah. For like 40 years, he's all and he's from South Africa. Really cool story. But Do you, Paul Simon was in, in South Africa and basically just kind of discovered him. Is is that am I incorrect? No, that's it. Yeah. Um, the story the story he told me is he was playing bass in his uncle's band, I think. And um, you know, Paul kind of went down because he had been listening to some South African music and didn't know what it was and had this one tape someone had made him and went down, tried to find these artists to collaborate with them. And and I think he was like, hey, I like I like what this guy's doing on bass because he had this fretless bass and he had his own sort of style. And so he, he was like, who's that bass player? And he was apparently working in, a, in an auto garage and he was, I don't know, 16 or 17 or something. And they were like, hey, Paul Simon's calling for you. He's like, who's Paul Simon? And they're like, you know, sound of silence. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, no, no. But he did know. He knew um, the only song that they played in the township, he said, was uh, Mother and Child Reunion because I had a groove. It was reggae. And so mm -hmm. that song, and he was like, they were like, you need to go. So he went and, and that, that's all she wrote. Again, the, the, if I read it right, there's an interesting story about how you became kind of like the full-time lead singer for his performances, correct? Like it was where you showed up and other people didn't, and you just kind of filled in for the whole show. Yeah, it was, you know, they were doing, um, I think a 30th, 30th anniversary uh, tribute to Graceland thing at the Philadelphia folk festival, mm -hmm. maybe four or five years ago. And, um, and they had a lot of different artists who they invited to sing lead on a song. Bagheedi was playing with his band there. And so some of the other artists couldn't make it. And so I ended up, ended up, I knew all the songs. So I just did the rest of it after the, after the performance, it was really cool. I chatted with Bagheedi and um, my, my, percu the percussionist in my band was already friends with him. So I called him up and said, Hey, we should do this again. Let's put on another show in the winter in art, the Dartmoor music hall. Mm -hmm. We did a couple more. Um, and it just kept developing and it was always such a big hit and we had a good time. And so it started getting more serious and now we're kind of, we're doing it, doing it more seriously. It's a great show. Hey, so before we get into all the stuff that you're, you're planning on doing and we can talk about some of the promotion in your website, would you be able to perform a song for us? Yeah, sure. Um, this song is called Oh Alexandra. It's, it's, it's going to be the next single, the second single off of my forthcoming album, which will come out in February. And yeah, here it goes. Oh, Alexandra, born on the back of a sunflower, you're sweet as a summertime honeydew.
Oh, what a great song that was, and uh, uh, the audio just came out tremendous for that one, so you definitely got to check that one out. Um, again, uh, do not hesitate to, to get the full experience of these uh, as we record them uh, for YouTube and Facebook Live. The, the video is out there, and it includes a whole lot more detail. Uh, we cut them down for these po- audio podcasts so that you can get a, a flavor of it, but we do hope that you go check those out, and then you kind of are, are uh, inspired to, to check out the artist, follow them on Spotify, and uh, you know catch them live when they're around. So thank you to Ryan Tennis, and uh, now on to Argonaut and Wasp. I have a couple of questions to ask these guys, so I'm, I'm curious. But before we get to them, let's learn a little, little, little bit more about them. Yes. Argonaut and Wasp was created with the goal of combining the vulnerability of a rock show with the energy of a house club. And you're going to see some videos to that point. Fantastic. Formed in the dorms of the University of Vermont in 2013, the band started as a DJ live show, which I'm interested in, mm-hmm. playing packed basement parties and sold-out festivals. In 2015, they packed their gear and moved to Brooklyn, where they built a studio in Crown Heights. After releasing numerous singles and EPs independently, they signed with Plus One Records and released their debut album, Starlight 99, on April 30th, 2021, which you can find on their Spotify we're bringing Let's bring him in. in. What's up, everybody? How's it going? Good. How are you? How are you guys? Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. So Thank you where? for joining live from the recording yeah, studio or the practice the studio. We are in Brooklyn, New York. We are in a rehearsal space here, if you can kind of see. Yep. Um, and uh, we are preparing for our tour. Tell us more about that. What, what, um, what do you have on tap for your tour? Bring this up. Um, well, we're playing the whole Starlight 99 album from start to finish. Um, kind of deeper cuts that we have been playing throughout the years that we think um, would be nice to bring back. Yeah, I guess we usually talk about tours toward the end of the uh, show, Phil, but we're going to see these guys at Milk Boy in Philly on yep. October 25th. I haven't been to a Monday concert in, I can't tell you how long. <laughs> I'm, I'm pumped. Yes. I keep telling people who I, you know, people who I know who love live music, I'm like, come see the show. It's a bad life choice night. You know, you go out <laughs> on a Monday night. <laughs> yeah, feel extra guilty, but we're gonna bring it extra hard. Yes, that's the, absolutely. Uh, that's, how now, you, I, that's how you play Mondays and Wednesdays through Wednesdays. You gotta, you gotta make it worth it. People's worth it people's work. time, which I'm sure you will, because um, you were definitely one of my favorite acts at Music Fest this year. And- Thanks. Yeah, we had a blast. The uh, that stage was awesome. The view from the stage, everything. I don't know. We loved it. We had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. They were on the, just so people know in case, I don't even know what, it's the only one that doesn't have any plots branding. It was a Highmark Blue Shield stage, clearly, as you said. On Air Products Town Square. Anyway, that's a Bethlehem joke, but it's right in front of the ArtsQuest building. The the best part about the stage was what you can't see in the video, which is that view of the uh, the plant, right? Like, right right to the left. Yeah, exactly. The rest yeah. of the guys just walked in, so we're going to introduce everyone real yeah, quick. Yeah, please do. Yeah, take us around. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Alec Duncan, our bass player right there. I'm real tall right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. How's it going? We've got Chris Corsco on drums yeah, over was, here. Uh... And then uh, that's the squad. Excellent. So what are your, your uh, new album is called Starlight 99, and – what I read is you made 99 songs. They're they're not 99 songs on the record. There's only 15. How number one? 
how do you cut down to 15? And number two, are, are you going to do something else with those other – I can't do the math real quick. Though. Yeah, well, we're playing We're playing the rest on the road. <laughs> so you got to come out. They got to come out. It's yeah. going to be a three-day, like, you know, <laughs> festival in and of sets. itself. Yeah, it's, it's three sets a night. You, we're playing. Uh, we're playing for six hours. It's gonna be great. Fine by me. Well, no, we uh, we you know, I mean, the songwriting process is like you you have to write a ton of music, and then you know, picking the right ones for the record was hard, especially because this was our debut album. We've been doing this for, we've been writing music together for a very long time. Right. So, um, it was a challenge to pick from all of those great songs, but. It, also, at the same time, like it was uh, the first time where everything really, the songs that were going to make the cut sounded cohesive and they, I don't know, they kind of just stuck stuck out. So it sounded like they were meant to be on the record. And I will say it definitely, um, from the first track through, like it almost feels like a Radiohead album where everything kind of fits and it almost is like not separate songs but like one giant song if, if that i hope that comes across the right way yeah that's a huge compliment that's probably the, <laughs> that's probably the best compliment we've ever gotten <laughs> there you go. um, but um, we uh it was a big you know the cohesion the goal of making a cohesive record for us was particularly important because we've been kind of torn in between these two lanes whether it's dam dance music or rock music and um, from record to record, we kind of traversed like over to each side. And a lot of people would be like, what are you? Are you, a, you know, DJs? Are you a rock band? Is this a dance record? Is this a rock record? And, um, you know, for us, our, we wanted our debut album to be something that sounded distinct. It sounded cohesive and it sounded like, you know, uncom uncompromisingly like everything that we were influenced by, but wasn't confusing for someone to like digest. That you like it. I mean... It's, uh, oh, absolutely! It's it's, it's perfect. It's, it's yeah. perfect music fest mu music because it it music is very much like we don't want you to be put into a genre box. We want you to just play awesome music that you guys do. Can you take us back a little bit to you know you guys met in college in Vermont and it kind of evolved to this point. So like any backstory you can give on like where it kind of started, how you guys met, all those different things. I think there's some cool stories in there. Started off with um, Theo and I, we met in a dorm room at UVM and uh, both Alec, Theo and I went to school there and uh, I met Theo when he was just DJing in his dorm room. I heard some awesome music coming from his room and I <laughs> pushed open the door and and, uh, and I was like, hey, what are you doing? And <laughs> we got along kind of right away and he showed me uh, a lot of really awesome dance music that you know, I'd gotten into electronic music production just because it was the cheapest way to like make your own songs. But I came from a like rock background, and Theo was came from more of a more DJ background. You know, like making electronic music and DJing in high school, and we um, we just became fast friends and started sharing music and and hanging out and making music, and we started to make music that sounded good enough to show our friends and then <laughs> at that point yeah and then at that point we that's the were first like, oh, step yeah and then our good friend alec who at the time was just our good friend booked us for a show and then and then we needed a bass player and ba so basically the the impetus of this whole thing was that we were making dance records and they were definitely more electronic when we first started because we were in like a small dorm room we didn't have much 
gear. We probably had like a computer and some MIDI controllers and a microphone okay. and a guitar. And like, you know, so everything we were doing was sounding very electronic, but we really wanted to make a rock show um, out of the stuff that we were doing, even though it didn't really necessarily fit. So building a band was priority number one. And we asked Alec who ended up being, you know, booking us our first show to play bass for us. And uh, the rest is history there. We, he, you know, he's been our bass player ever since. And then um, when we got to New York, that's where we met our drummer, Chris. And um, we've, so we've been like, we've been at it with this core group of people from, from day one. I'm sure, do you have any difficulty translating some of that electronic sound to a live show? Do you have any, mm. like, are there challenges there? We're all a little bit, we're all kind of music tech enthusiasts. So there's, you know, incorporating electronic elements into like a live performance setting is something that I think we all find pretty interesting. So, um, so I wouldn't necessarily say it was a challenge. It was more of something okay. that we, we kind of wanted to do and get creative with. Okay. Actually, yeah. I can even share, I, or I can set you guys up to share something at your set at Music Fest. You happen to be performing on Thursday, which I think was 9,000 degrees. Yeah. And yeah. actually, you know how everything is named plots over there. I believe we called it hot as balls plots that day. Um, and your computer wouldn't boot up. Like you just literally couldn't get to your samples and such. Is that correct? Yeah. No, it was the uh, first time that that's ever happened. We <laughs> I do were... remember you walked out and you were like, um, so because like 15 minutes go by and it's like you're not starting and you're like, well, we're going to just try it the old fashioned way. Yeah. and play it like a just like a normal regular song um it and it sounded great but then after that one song the computer fired up and we heard the angels sing and you know then all of a sudden you guys played the next song with it the way that you intended it to be and it's like oh that's so much better because it's the it's what you designed it to be yeah well it, it, totally we or it's just the computer I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no we uh you know we're just um, unabashedly kind of married to the technology that we incorporate into the show. It's just part of the shtick at this point. I mean, oh, yeah. to get the production that everyone expects nowadays when you go to a show, that's what you got to do. Mm -hmm. The last year and a half, it clearly it's been more difficult to tour, to, to do things. Have you been able to find any positives out of that? Like, has it been writing music or, you know, I, I don't know. Like, have you found any positives out of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we uh, we put out our we were able to write and finish our first record, which was huge, and we played a lot of music. I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, there was a lot of growth for for everybody. Theo, do you want to weigh in on that at all? Um, I think everyone. I mean, it also took we all and I saw my family more, which was nice. It was important. Oh, I'm, for sure. I really like music. <laughs> <laughs> also important to do every once in a while. Yeah. So the obvious question I don't have the answer to is where did the name come from? Or did, maybe I didn't uh, dig deep enough. That's a good question. So, uh, well, have you ever heard of the writer Ambrose Bierce? Yep. I guess I have. So he was, uh, he was a writer I was super into when we started making music for the first time. And um, he wrote for a column called The Argonaut and one called The Wasp. And that's, there you go. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> And did, no, no, I, I think I read, 
I think I read that when you brought it up, Theo said he's fine with it as long as he could be the Argonaut. <laughs> Damn, yeah, that's you did your research. <laughs> that's exactly right. And you said, I don't care, I like the name. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. It's uh um, it's a funny name because we uh I guess it's a little bit of a mouthful, but we um I feel like it's one of those things where once you get it, you don't forget it. No, it's true. And obviously, when you do a Google search, you're only going to find Ambrose Bierce and you guys. So that's good. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and the way you did it with all lowercase and no spacing, I think that's terrific. It's it's great. Thank you. Um, yeah. But the, the other thing I saw was this kind of a neat, neat story around the, um, the the cover of the Beast of Burden song by the Rolling mm -hmm. Stones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was... Uh, we had been asked to play... a book release party in the city for um, an author who toured with the stones in the 90s and wrote a book about it and uh he was you know he asked us to play the show, the party and we were like you know we'll only do it if we can play our own songs and and then he was like we well, got to play at least you know a couple stone songs and um and so you know growing up the stone my father was a you know obsessed with the stones sure and um we I, I was obviously very influenced by them just as a kid. So we had just finished that preparing for that show when we were going into the studio to cut our EP Hoff Fiction. And um, we had finished the recordings that we needed to get done for the day with a couple hours to spare. And we heard that the stones were coming into that same studio, into that room um, a few hours later to, <laughs> to work with the engineer that we were working with. And so we thought it would be kind of funny if we cut our cover of Beast of Burden and the off chances that they'd ever hear it. I would have left them Which a note did. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which they I'm looking at your, I'm bringing it up. What am I doing? Looking at the website, I mean, you guys, we have the Milk Boy show here uh, on the 25th, but you have a, a, a full schedule. I mean, Virginia, oh, yeah. North Carolina, Tennessee, Illinois, Minnesota, Washington. You're out of Portland. Um, my sister lives there. Actually. I, I was going to say, our reach obviously <laughs> will cover this entire footprint. But there, there have been some bands we haven't seen this much, um, I guess, planned sure. activity. You know, have you guys been able to, to kind of navigate this in, in a positive way to continue to, to, to tour? Clearly. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're uh, we it's we can't wait to get on the road and hit all those shows. Mm -hmm. We're gonna it's it's yeah. It was somewhat of a leap of faith, I think, that yeah. with um, book the bookings the way it went, like um, you know, once it seemed kind of obvious about a year ago, eight months ago, that the fall of 2021 was going to be viable for shows i know there was kind of a mad dash on holds yeah. and and venue spots so we were getting told at the time and with other bands that i know and work with through the industry it's like you gotta you gotta snatch updates now if you want them so we kind of booked this tour like probably further out than we traditionally would um just in the hopes that it would happen Sure. So we're really stoked that it is actually happening. That's awesome. And do you head out on that tour bus? Like, is, is that the plan? Like, you guys are getting ready to ship out? Yeah, we're trying to finalize all the logistics and details now. Uh, tonight is 
you guys probably mentioned earlier, our first night of like tour rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we're we're getting the ducks ducks in a row. That's tremendous. We're, good. we're getting the ducks in the bus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in our private jet. Yeah. yeah. Actually, George, go back. Drive seven thousand miles in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I noticed. Go to the gallery. These were two other questions I wanted oh, yeah. to ask about. Um, they had their music used in an absolute vodka commercial, which is in that top right corner. Yeah. I don't. I don't forget the volume. Used to falling fast and taking masks yeah. off slow. Yep. The crew you missed. Yeah. And the one you're about to meet. Not being ready to go out and not being ready to go home. No matter how you mix. Mix with respect. Absolute. Mix responsibly. So there, there's that. And then the other cool one, if you go back, is okay. they used yours in the Apple Watch ad. That's like a third row down, second one in. That's just a print ad, but it's your album right there on the on the watch. That's got to be so cool. What? Yeah, that was that was really really cool. We all freaked out when we saw that. <laughs> we, we freaked out. When Did we you saw know blood. that was gonna happen? Like we had know. we had no idea about the Apple um, about the Apple Watch then. Had you had any contact with anybody, or is that still a mystery? Still a mystery, but apparently <laughs> one, of their color, one of their new colors is now called Starlight. No You're kidding. Way. Really? Yeah. That is so cool. That's so <laughs> you might, like, that is really that pretty cool. I love breaking news. Like, there we go. Apple had, and, and Argonaut and Wasp invented a new color. I bet yeah. you just have like a like somebody there who likes your music and they're like, this is, look at this design. This yeah, it's a pretty fantastic. dope cover. So it's a good yeah. one for an ad. And because our music's on uh, Apple Music, they probably have a blanket license to use it. <laughs> no, well, it's no not like you're going to be like, hey. Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, one exactly. of those you might let slide. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's okay. And I think it's just going to be an awesome show. Where whatever city you're in, but obviously we're close to Philly. That's the one we're going to. And uh, hopefully yeah, we... more, more people meet us down there. Let's go Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we can say hi when, when uh, we're down there. If not, we're just excited to to be there. No, we'll definitely. We're yeah, come say hi. We'll 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 get a drink and we'll it'll be awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, hey, listen, guys, we appreciate you taking some time. I know you're getting ready to tour and you guys are busy, so we appreciate all you guys uh, taking the time. Yeah, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much, guys. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lehigh Valley with Love Music. Would like to once again thank our guests El Huri, Ryan Tennis, and Argonaut and Wasp. There are links in the show notes to the Spotify playlists, YouTube channels, and web pages. Please go check them out, follow them, subscribe, and maybe even purchase some merch. And of course, uh, when they're playing in your area, uh, certainly check them out. We, we always bring on the, the artists who are the absolute most stunning live performers. Uh, tune in next month where we connect with singer-songwriter Mark Douglas Berardo, MDB, alt-pop rockers Carver Commodore, who are definitely not to be missed, and the uh, hometown headliners, uh, jazz, blues, funky, groove merchants. And we'll actually be giving away some tickets to the Turkey Jam 2021 uh, that's taking place Thanksgiving Eve uh, at the Steel Stacks. 
Um, and that night does include the Groove Merchants, a Trouble City All-Stars, some comedians, and that should definitely should be a good night. Lehigh Valley with Love is sponsored by Michael Bernardin of Remax Realty, Molly's Irish Grill, and Venture X. If any of you would like to sponsor our show, or if you are a musician and you'd like to try and be a guest, uh, send us a note to info at lehighvalleywithlovemedia.com, or just hit us up on the socials. Also, a very special thank you to Carver Commodore, Argonaut and Wasp, and Blair Crimmins for allowing the use of their music throughout this episode. Uh, really appreciate that. Thank you again for listening, and um, uh, see you next month or at a live show somewhere nearby. It's all over now.